Well, hello, friends, and Happy New Year. It's so good to be with you. I was gone last weekend, missed you. I love, in fact, I hate being gone. I, I, I love so much uh, being here, being with you. But we, we woke up on the Appalachian Trail Sunday morning. We didn't, couldn't make it to church. We couldn't hike that fast. So uh, we had a great time uh, being gone, missed you. Hey, boy, Janet did an amazing job last week. I don't know if you were here, but she just did a great job uh, as she was wrapping up our Let There Be Light series. And she was leading us into uh, the series series that we're kicking off uh, this weekend. Uh, we're kind of, we're kicking off with the book of Matthew, but it's to launch this project we've got going on uh, this new year, 2019, to, as a church, read through the whole New Testament in a year. Uh, I will say, I am super excited about this project. I, I believe it's going to be good for our church spiritually. I think it's going to be good for my family spiritually. I think it's going to be good for me uh, spiritually, and I hope that maybe you've already uh, gotten into it just a little bit. Uh, we've got uh, cards that we'll give you on the way out that'll kind of keep you on track with the dates. Uh, also, I'm supposed to report, we had a typo in the cards that we handed out last Sunday. The week of February 24th got repeated. Uh, so uh, it, grab a new one on the way out today. We think we got it right this time. If you find a typo, you win a prize and we'll reprint them again. So please look hard, find a typo. There'll be a big prize in it for you. Um, uh, but listen, I hope you're doing this. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know how you're resonating with this, uh, but I really believe uh, that God's Word is one of the most amazingly powerful spiritual tools in our lives, and I think that, there, that, that God, there's going to be some really profound spiritual fruit out of all of us reading through the New Testament uh, together. Uh, listen, if you're not in a group already, I would really encourage you to jump into one of these groups that's doing it. Uh, kind of, we've got uh, a, few, a handful of groups. Uh, so in the next hour at 940, uh, I get it. and if I leave you out, tell me. I'll mention you next week. But I know the Dash class is doing, uh, they're going to study it through in a year. And then we've got a brand new class launching just for this purpose. So if you want to circle up with some people and study the New Testament in a year, they launched today. It's called the Bible Project. Project. They meet at 940. Don't ask me where. I don't know, but it's somewhere in that way. But if you're determined, you ask around, you'll find it. Uh, then 1110, the primetime class is going to be studying uh, along with us in a year. Also, we've got a new group launching Wednesday mornings. Uh, it starts on the 9th. That's this Wednesday, 8 a.m., uh, down in Mount Castle, room 2A, down there in the little strip mall down there. Uh, that's open to everybody. That little, brand new group launching, if you want some people to talk about this uh, reading with. And, and there'll be lots of other ways uh, that you can connect with this reading, because we want to do this together. We don't want to just do it on our own. We want to do it uh, together. One of the ways we'll connect is through our sermon series. Now, not every sermon, I'm not guaranteeing that every sermon series all year long will be pulled just from that week's uh, verses. We've got some other things we're going to do this year, too. But several times throughout the year, we'll kind of just spend a season where we just, whatever we read that week, that's what we'll be drawing from in the message. And I think it'll be fun. We'll all come in prepared. We've done the reading. We've been immersed in the Word. And then we can explore it together. And, and one of the times we'll do that is right here at the beginning of the year. We're just going to uh, preach right through the book of Matthew as we read it. So if you already knew about this, uh, then last week you read Matthew chapters 1 through 5. And then this next week we'll read chapters 6 through 10. Now, I, here, here's the one thing I'll say to you. If you are already behind, you know, it's the 6th of January. You didn't know about it. You didn't do it. Don't worry so much about catching up as you do about keeping up. 
Okay, if I would rather you read six through ten and be kind of in it with us than be so focused on catching up with one through five that you never kind of you're always behind the whole time. So jump in with us next week, chapter six. And then if you've all if you've got time to go back and catch up, that's great too. But I'd rather you stay with us. So this week we kick things off our New Testament in a year project with the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew is one of the Gospels. These are the books that tell the story of Jesus' life. Uh, Some talk about his birth. They all talk about his death and all talk about his life and ministry. And uh, throughout this series in Matthew, we'll do it different ways. Some weeks we'll just look at one text from the last week's reading. Some weeks we'll kind of pull out a theme. Very rarely we'll attempt to summarize the whole five chapters uh, that we read. We won't do that very often because uh, usually you just can't pull it off in, you know, in the 25 minutes or so that I've got to summarize five chapters of Scripture. Uh, but sometimes you can. In fact, one of the few times that I think it's safe to try to summarize Scripture is when Scripture itself offers you the summary. And one of the interesting things about the Gospels, if you've read them before, you might not already know this. If you are reading them for the first time as part of this project, you'll soon discover this. One interesting thing about the Gospels is that when they summarize the preaching of Jesus... They always do it the exact same way. Every single time one of the gospel writers wants to, in a sentence, just kind of summarize the message of Jesus, they always do it exactly the same way. It's interesting, over the years, as I've taught uh, classes of New Testament, sometimes I'll ask people, how do the gospel writers summarize the message of Jesus? I won't make you tell your neighbor right now, uh, but it's interesting. When you ask that question, people always have good ideas. Uh, They always have scriptural ideas. They always have true ideas, but they almost never get it right. They almost never notice how the gospels actually summarize the message of Jesus. So if you know, you can be impressed with yourself because they do it the same way every single time. Here's one of several examples from the Gospel of Luke. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Here's one of many examples from Mark. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And it was in our reading last week from Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. Every time one of the gospel writers want to summarize the preaching of Jesus, now sometimes they'll give us the whole sermon, but when they summarize his teaching, it's always the same way. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom is here. It's always some short little phrase about the kingdom of God. Now, if you're surprised by this, as you might be, uh, Matthew would be disappointed. 
Because he has tried very hard throughout the first four chapters of his gospel, he has tried very hard to focus our attention on the kingship of Jesus. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, or if you've got it on your phone, or actually we've got a bunch in the pews too, uh, grab one. I'm just going to race through the first four chapters of Matthew, and I want you to notice how much energy Matthew spends to draw our attention to the kingship of Jesus and the kingdom that he's bringing. Like I say, there are Bibles in the pews. You've got one on your phone. Maybe you brought one with you. Grab one with you. Uh, from the very first verse, Matthew starts off. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ or the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he begins the genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy, but I want you to notice a couple things about that very first sentence. He starts, Matthew does, by calling Jesus king. Now, we sometimes don't know that because we forget what the word means and, and they don't translate it in our Bibles. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Some will say Christ, some will say Messiah there. I'm sympathetic with the fact that our translators don't translate that word. It's a hard word to translate, but none of us really know what a Messiah is. It's not a word we use, but they knew the word. They knew it well. It was the name for the anointed king that God had promised to send. The first verse of the book of Matthew is, claims something about the person of Jesus Christ. Namely, it claims that he was the king that God had promised to send. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed king. Every time you see the word Christ, every time you see the word Messiah in your Bible, let it remind you that this is a claim that Jesus was the promised, anointed king over all kings that God had promised to send. I won't read through every word of the genealogy, although it's fascinating and there's a lot to learn from it. I'll skip to the end. Verse 15. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Again, there, as at the beginning, so at the end, Matthew reminds us that Jesus is the anointed king. But this king, uh, Matthew links with three great unfinished promises. Again, Matthew wants us to know not just that Jesus is king, but what kind of king is he. And so he links Jesus with three great promises promises. First, the promise to Abraham. Jesus, the son of Abraham. What was the promise to Abraham? The promise was so wonderful. It's just one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Jesus is the king who will complete the promise made to Abraham that all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Not only is Jesus the king who will complete the promise to Abraham, Matthew also links him to the promises made to David. Samuel makes this promise, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The people of Jesus' day knew this promise. They knew it well. And yet all around them, they saw the world mocked this promise. For David was not the eternal king, nor was Solomon, nor any of his children, nor any of his descendants. And yet this promise was there. And Jesus, the son of David, comes to fulfill the promise of David. Jesus is the king of blessing promised to Abraham. He is the eternal king promised to David. But more than that, he's also the king who will fulfill the promise made to Jeremiah. The promise of the exile. The Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Another great promise of God to God's people that was still unfulfilled. For though the exile had ended, God's people were still scattered. The temple was in disarray. And yet, Matthew says, now in Jesus is a king who will fulfill the promise of blessing made to Abraham, the promise of an eternal kingdom made to David, and the promise of rescue made through Jeremiah to the people of exile. But it isn't just the genealogy that focuses on the kingship. No, like I say, the whole first four chapters are Matthew preparing us for Jesus' claim that I am the king. Look at Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Again, just pause there. They don't come and ask, where is the one who is born Savior of the world? Where is the one who is born forgiver of sin? Where is the one? They come asking for a king. They come to the king, asking for a king. Perhaps thinking they're coming to look for Herod's son, maybe. But when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, this name given to Jesus. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least when it comes the, among the rulers of Judah. 
For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Matthew wants us to know the one who has come from Bethlehem has come to rule. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. It's a lie, of course. He, he, Herod has no plans to worship Jesus. He is not prepared to worship. He is afraid. For this was no religious guru come to start a new religion. Herod was not afraid of new religions. New religions started in the ancient Near East about every five minutes. Herod was not afraid of a new religion. Herod was afraid of a king who had come to establish a kingdom more powerful and more permanent than any kingdom on the earth. You see, Matthew isn't subtle. Matthew wants you well prepared for the message of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He starts chapter 3 the very same way. Look with me at chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. A king needs a herald, and Jesus had one. John the Baptist comes as the herald, announcing the coming of a kingdom, and a kingdom cannot come without its king, and people responded. They responded, thousands of them being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. For in the teaching of John the Baptist, they discovered that this kingdom was a kingdom of mercy. And then we get to Matthew chapter 4. And after Jesus is tempted, his ministry begins. And Matthew, like all the other gospel writers, looks for language to summarize Jesus' ministry. And like all the other Gospel writers, when he tries to summarize the ministry of Jesus, he goes to the same simple language. The kingdom is here. Repent. The king has come. Turn around. Starting in verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, He withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what had been said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan began to follow him. The message of Jesus was so simple. And it was all about who he was. He just went to people and said, Hey you, turn around. The new kingdom is here. Stop following other kings. Stop following yourself as a king. For I am the king. The king promised who would bring the blessing promised to Abraham. The king promised who would establish an eternal kingdom once promised to David. The king promised who would rescue God's people as promised through Jeremiah. The king promised who would be the king of great power enough that Herod would fear him. The king promised who would be the king of mercy that John the Baptist heralded. I am the king. The message of Jesus was simple. Turn around. Follow me. The kingdom is here. And the response of the people was also pretty simple. They followed him. Or they rejected his kingship. And they conspired against him. Those were kind of the only two ways people responded to Jesus. Large crowds saw in his rulership, saw in his lordship, saw in his kingship a way to be, a way to live, a path of mercy and forgiveness and blessing and righteousness, and they could not help but follow. I love what Jason said. I love the New Year's. I, I, I feel the same way. I love the blank slate that you feel like you have to accomplish new tasks and forge new perspectives. I'm so excited about what's coming up in the, just the next few months here around FCC. I'm excited about the blanket and hand warmer drive we're in the middle of right now. I'm excited about Love Month, which kicks off soon, so be ready to sign up for something in February. I'm excited about the gathering in January, about how it just brings the leaders of people to church invested to plan for the new year. I'm, I'm just so excited about this New Testament in a Year project. And the chance we have to just commit ourselves to God's Word and let ourselves as a church be shaped by it. In my own ministry, I, I, I'm just so pumped for the small group of 
senior high guys that I lead. We're going to have such a great spring. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about winter nights for our high school. I'm excited. I got some New Year's resolutions related to investing in my marriage and being a better dad. I even want to lose a little weight this year. I'm excited about so much stuff for this new year. But more than anything else, for me personally, and for you, and for this church, I want this to be another year where we have another chance to more completely and more fully turn around and follow Jesus. I want that more than I want anything else for my life. I want that more than I want anything else for your life. I want Jesus. You may have all the New Year's resolutions you need this year, okay, but I'll just tell you, if you haven't made following Jesus more deeply and more fully and more purely one of your resolutions for this year, boy, I just invite you to try it. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the King of blessing. Only Jesus can make true the promise God gave to Abraham that He would one day bless all people. He is the King of eternity. Only Jesus can rule and reign over an eternal kingdom and you're invited to be a part of it. Jesus is the king of rescue. The rescue that God promised through the prophet Jeremiah. It is only coming through one king and that is the king Jesus. He is the king of mercy. No wonder his herald came with baptism to wash people clean, for our Jesus washes us clean. And he is a king worth following. Every time they summarize the message of Jesus, they just do it so simply. Turn around. Turn around. For the kingdom is here. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just ask that for all the ways, big and small, that we need to turn around this year, you would just be with us. Confront us, God, with your lordship. Where we have followed other kings, God, interrupt us. Where we have become the king of our own lives, confront us. And let us hear again the simple challenge of Jesus. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand and draw us back to you, God. For you are the king of blessing and rescue and mercy. You are the king of eternity and you are this year and every year. You are a king worth following. So may that be true of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.